Let's get into this. And uh, a lot of you asking questions, a lot of you making points. Some good ones about this latest report that we saw from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. Now, they issue these reports every once in a while. Uh, This is the most recent one. Uh, It's the work of more than 200 scientists that have gone through thousands of studies. Um, The accompanying summary had to be approved by uh, delegates from 195 countries. So it's a pretty global effort. Now, more than any other forecast or record ever before, uh, this report's determinations will, you know, they'll be part of the global consensus. Where do we stand on this and what are we going to do about it? Among the headlines, the past decade likely hotter than any period in the last 125,000 years. Um, combustion and deforestation have raised carbon dioxide in the atmosphere higher than they've been in 2 million years. And methane and nitrous oxide concentration higher than at any point in the last 800,000 years. The UN calls this a code red for humanity. That's what, I mean, pretty dire predictions. They're saying that we should shoot past the 1.5 degrees Celsius increase that we've always talked about as being sort of the make or break point within a couple of decades. Tops. Um, we have about a 50% chance of staying below that threshold, which was called for in the Paris Agreement, um, if CO2 emissions from last year onwards remain below 500 billion tons. So it's all about what's going on, and the report also concludes beyond a reasonable doubt, they're saying it. We now know without a shadow of a doubt that this is caused by human activity. Okay, so let's get some details on the science behind this. We're going to chat now with Ian Morrow, who is the Executive Director of the Climate Change Centre at the University of Winnipeg. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Good morning. This report, um, dire, uh, more dire than any report we've seen from the UN before. Um, Basically, they're saying this is it. This is make or break, right? Well, we've been hearing this for, you know, report after report after report. You know, the last one was eight years ago, um, seven, eight years ago, uh, 2013. And um, we each time these reports come out, we get, you know, greater evidence that it's human caused, that it's extreme, and that we need to change our ways. And so we've had these kind of, you know, bells of, you know, alarm going off for decades now. And the real question is, are we going to act? are we going to change our behavior? Because, you know, essentially the science is more clear, the impacts are more severe, and it's really about the choices that we make now. The question now, uh, they say, has been answered. There is no doubt, and they can point to whatever science they have access to, to say, without a doubt, this is caused by human activity. How? What, what are they basing that on? We had a chance to determine how they're capable of saying, without a shadow of a doubt, this is caused by human activity? Well, for sure. You know, when we take a look at these kind of paleo records, you can look at everything from kind of tree rings to ice cores, and you can look at, you know, what the earth was doing, you know, prior to industrialization, essentially prior to the burning of oil, gas, and coal. And when we see the industrialization of human society, we see this kind of uptick, and and in some ways they call it the hockey stick, you know, the hockey stick graph where it's been kind of flat. And then you see this increase of, of greenhouse gases, you know, carbon dioxide, methane, and others and with that we see this this corresponding uptick of temperature and that increase in temperature that global warming causes all of these changes to the earth system and so you can actually see it in these paleo records you can actually see it in the modeling that they do and so the science is very sophisticated and we can look at natural forcings without kind of human intervention and greenhouse gases and model it with those 
interventions of greenhouse gases and and the data just clearly shows that humans are causing these trends and you know some people might be like well how can we know this stuff you know the neat thing is if you look back you know 20 30 years and you look at the science of 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 those decades that have gone by when they were actually looking at the kind of climate projections back then they stack up perfectly to what we're seeing today so we actually know and there's scientific papers out there testing how well these models have worked over time and we actually know that that they actually have a, a high degree of accuracy and so um you know science has shown us how to how, how various phenomenon work and climate is actually one where it's it's, it's very good predictor of, of the things we might see in the future and i want to go a little deeper you were talking about you know how you can discover historic information and things like that when they're talking about higher levels than we've seen in two million years how can they possibly make that statement what is the science that they use to determine what co2 levels were two million years ago well, you know, again, I was talking about these ice cores, and this isn't my area of science, but I can I can kind of give you a little bit of an update on, on where that stuff comes from. You know, when they dig into the, the kind of, you know, glaciers of the world, they can actually get trapped bubbles of that previous atmosphere in that ice. And so you get these ice cores, and there's huge science doing that. And they're looking at, you know, these paleoclimates, and they can actually tell, and they actually get the samples of that atmosphere that is layered inside this ice as, you know, these glaciers and snow is falling there's air that's trapped inside it and so it's quite remarkable you know human beings were amazing creatures and our intelligence is remarkable and our ability to actually determine these things is 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 quite uh, amazing uh, tree rings for example there's there's dendroclimatologists who will look at you know thousand year old trees and they will be able to see when there was drought and stress years where a, a tree ring is so minimally uh, developed that they can actually look back and determine that there was drought uh, stress on those trees. And so there's all these different areas of science that allow us to look at that kind of paleoclimate, that hind casting, compare it to the future. And if you look at the head note, the, the main kind of uh, summary for policymakers, they actually talk about that. They say that they looked at paleoclimates, they looked at projection data, they've looked at all the peer-reviewed literature. And so this report is an accumulation of all these ways of knowing, all of these tools to understand where we're at. And again, it's the most dire assessment that's come out of the IPCC yet. Yeah, it certainly is. And is it a process of elimination? Like they take a look at volcanic activity, they look at solar activity, they look at all the other things that could possibly have landed us where we are now, and and, and they can say, okay, well, that didn't do it, because I know they, they point out that if you want to talk about volcanic activity, it's a, a tenth of a percent that could be involved in where we are now. So is it a process of elimination almost that leaves us with there's nothing else? Absolutely. And that stuff is parked, right? Like we, we know that it's not that now. And so, you know, the neat thing about this new assessment is that the actual models for looking at the future have actually changed. And so we were looking at kind of these radio um, forcings on, on the, you know, watts per square meter and, you know, how much heating is taking a place across the landscape. And they've actually changed the actual way in which we're starting to think about climate futures. And they have this process of thinking about shared socioeconomic pathways. And so for the first time in the IPCC process, we're really starting to look at not just these kind of, you know, temperature futures, but we're looking at these societal futures. And so there's five new kind of scenarios that they've developed. And one is this kind of sustainability scenario. If we really work hard to, you know, bring together an inclusive form of development where environment is prioritized, health is prioritized, you know, and we're reducing inequality and we're increasing education and we're really kind of tracking in a, in a clean way, the extreme on the other end is that kind of continued fossil fuel development. 
development. And in between, we kind of have middle road and we have collaboration and we have inequality and, you know, different you know, scenarios around how this might play out. And I think that's a, a really important part of this new assessment because what it's doing is it's kind of talking about the science, but it's actually talking about society and, and, and our options and the choices that we make. And that's how I kind of preface the interview is it's, it's what we decide to do now. And these models that they're developing account for these different ways in which society might orient itself and the implications of that orientation. Because if we decide to just kind of do that, you know, fossil fuel future, the implications are enormous. And we actually have ways to kind of transition out of that and move into a more sustainable and green future that will limit the warming, limit the impacts. And, and, and one of the crazy things about the report is it also says that some of this stuff is absolutely irreversible. Yeah. The loss of the glaciers, the loss of these ice sheets, the world in which we know it is going to fundamentally change forever. There will be things that our kids will never be able to see in their lifetimes that we are seeing right now because the changes will happen so quickly, except for the fact that we can change a different pathway in society to limit you know, the, the, the extreme pace at which these changes are occurring and give ourselves some time to figure this out. And that's really what this report is about. It's saying, hey, we need to change our ways and choose. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's a different future. They lay out five different scenarios based on what could happen if we don't act or if we do act or whatever, you know, how much we act, um, and basically what we're talking about, why, first of all, why is the 1.5 degrees Celsius benchmark, why was that chosen in Paris, why is that seen to be as such an important marker in terms of warming of the earth? You know, that's a fabulous question, and and they started around this kind of two degrees, that was actually right. the Paris Agreement, you know, they were like two degrees, we have to figure out two degrees, and a lot of these small island nation states in the South Pacific said at two degrees, the modeling shows that literally the oceans are going to increase in size because the, the warming of the ocean, you know, if you think about the kinetic energy, the molecules moving, the, they actually expand. The actual oceans expand when the glaciers are melting. You know, that's new water in the oceans. And these South Pacific countries were saying, we won't be here at two degrees. We will literally have oceans kind of covering our land masses. And so they advocated for 1.5 degrees Celsius. And this is actually one of the first times in the history of, you know, climate change where the policymakers were ahead of the scientists and the scientific community was like well we actually don't know what a 1.5 future looks like and so immediately after paris the scientific community went to try and figure out well what is 1.5 actually means and they released a report uh saying that essentially you know the difference between 1.5 degrees and two degrees is absolutely massive in terms of food security in terms of water security in terms of all of these things and so the whole focus changed to actually 1.5 should not just be aspirational. That's actually like a safe upper limit that we need to be driving our kind of policy towards. And so these new scenarios that you just mentioned, that kind of sustainability track will get us kind of 
close to 1.5, but we're quickly closing the window on being able to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And when I say 1.5, that's 1.5 degrees warming from industrial time. So that kind of 1800s and that paleo climate, we kind of saw that stable climate and we've increased a little over one degree Celsius. And you look at what has happened this year in BC, the highest temperature ever recorded in Canadian history. And that is because of this global, you know, one plus degree Celsius change around the globe. Well, here in Canada, we're seeing these massive spikes in temperature. So if you think about it warming past 1.5, at the end of the century, they're saying in an extreme year, uh, extreme scenario, you know, it could be four degrees, five degrees Celsius warmer than that industrial average of the 1800s. Well, if we warm that much, like we can't even imagine what might happen to society, the unmooring of the foundations of our society. So these are, these are not kind of theoretical ideas. This is what the best science is saying. And this is the call to action that the UN has made as of this morning. Yeah, exactly. And they're saying, you know, if we get to that 4.4, that, that, that's a scenario that we just cannot possibly even entertain. Question for you, and it's coming in from a lot of listeners, and I have the same question. Uh, and I know Alberta used to be like a tropical environment, and then it went through an ice age. So what was fueling climate change back then? Uh, obviously, it wasn't human involvement. So, I mean, the Earth does go through climate cycles, right? Absolutely. And so that, that, again, your previous question was kind of along this, you know, like what's the kind of natural climate change versus that kind of human induced climate change. And so again, this report does model that out. I was looking at some of the graphs this morning and they literally show the kind of forcing that human beings have caused on that. And so without getting into, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, millions of years and billions of years of Earth's formation, we know that these things delineate and that, that, that human caused climate change, anthropogenic climate change is absolutely what we are dealing with and i think that's the thing we need to wrap our heads around and and the amazing thing i have family in alberta and the amazing thing about alberta is that you're not a fossil fuel you know province you're an energy province and the opportunity for places like alberta to reorient their economies and come out ahead as the world races towards creating a renewable future and creating a future based on kind of clean energy alberta and the industry and the expertise and the intelligence and the ingenuity and the sincerity of the people of alberta to solve these problems you know we can we can find opportunities in the storm and we can find ways to kind of redefine our interaction with the planet but also our own economies to to come out ahead of this and and that's the exciting part is that if we kind of flip the switch on this and if we actually find a way to create an economy that is in alignment with our climate then we are in a situation where we can you know create the next kind of industrial economy of the future based on green technology and i think alberta wants to be in the driver's seat of that and i think there's an exciting opportunity no i think you're right i, I think you're absolutely right and i think there's a lot of talk and, and and you know taking a look at how we can possibly do that but um just again so when we saw the ice age or when we saw the glaciers you know coming down across alberta or we saw you know alberta used to be if you go to the Trail Museum, and they show you what the climate was like back then. What 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 what, what caused that change? Was that just? I mean, was it the sun? Was it volcanoes? Do we do we know at this point? Can our, can our science tell us that? Well, there's a ton of science around all of these things, right, in terms of how past climates occurred. And there's, you know, it depends on which period of time you're talking about. You know, it depends, you know, know, if there's volcanoes going off and we have, you know, this global cooling because the sun can't enter into. And so there's all these different kinds of scenarios. But again, the thing that we're talking about here is that kind of anthropogenic climate change from, you know, the industrialization and the burning of oil, gas and coal. And so, again, without getting into that kind of back history, we know through the 
this report, and if you take a look at the science of the report, it's very clear. You know, human caused and 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 breaking points. Like we are literally at a critical moment in human society where we have to decide how we want to live on this planet. And there is an opportunity here to take the lessons learned from this IPCC report and actually start to structure our experience to track on these kinds of projections and these, you know, shared socioeconomic pathways to, to steer in the right direction. And, you know, I think our children in 50 years will look back on this period and they will judge us on whether or not we actually followed through on what we knew in this particular moment in time. And so I think, you know, this is an opportunity for us to to do good by our kids and grandkids and have them look back on their lives and say our parents made the right choice, you know, in August of 2021 when they heard this news. And I think we all need to take that to heart. Ian, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. All the best. That is Ian. Ian Morrow, the executive director of the Climate Change Center at the University of Winnipeg.